point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. One, just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it, or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond there, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> but uh, you can send an email. It is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Just send me an email there. I will read it uh, and get it in the show. That's a better option for people, like I said, non-Twitter users. Or if you want to go a little bit longer or introduce yourself to me a little bit, it's a, it's a great way to uh, stay involved with the show. So without further ado, let's get into it. We got a bunch of questions today, so I might have to shorten stuff just to keep it within our general time parameters, try to keep this under 40 minutes. So yeah, let's for real get into it. The first question of the day comes from Brady from Gmail, who asks, Can you break down the best possible scenario that the Blazers can achieve in the startup? Is 8th the best they can do? So yeah, 8th is the best they can do. Right now in 7th, the Dallas Mavericks are 40 and 27. If they were to go 0 and 8, they would be 40 and 35. The Blazers cannot get to 40 wins. It ain't happening. Uh, so yeah, 8th is the dream. And and to be to be totally honest, I don't think they can get to eighth. I don't think the, I do not think they're, I think they can get to ninth and make the playoffs with the playing game, but I don't think there is a scenario in which they make up three and a half games and pass the Grizzlies to get into eighth. And even if they do, there's no, there's very, very, very little chance that the Grizzlies fall all the way out of the play-in scenario. And also so do New Orleans and Sacramento, no matter what the Blazers, to me, no matter what the Blazers are, are getting into the playoffs via a play in tournament. And they're going to, they got some work to do to even get there. Next question comes from Hassan Whiteside's burner at Justin P 1111, who asks, that's a, a Twitter handle, Justin P 1111, who asks, what kind of immediate impact do you see Nurk being able to make? Do you foresee Hassan starting with Nurk getting increased minutes off the bench as the season progresses? Okay. A a bunch of y'all ask questions about starting lineups and nurks and all that, so we're going to just knock those out of the way right up front. Do I foresee Hassan starting and nurk and increase minutes off the bench? No, I do not. I, I think the starting lineup will see Yusuf Nurkic at center, and from everything that the Blazers are saying, he looks really good. Um, I think they'll play a little bit next to each other, but I think Nurk is your day one starter. Hassan Whiteside's burner account, still Justin P1111 on Twitter, also asks, with Ariza sitting out, do you see Mello, Gary Trent Jr., or Nazir Little getting the nod for the starting small forward? It seems like it's going to be Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I think Gary Trent Jr. is going to play a lot of minutes there. I think Nazir Little is going to play some minutes there. I think there's an outside chance Wenyan Gabriel plays, even though I don't really think that. But I think uh, Terry Stott said today that he's been he's been practicing at the three. So if he does see spot minutes, that's where he's going to play. Mario Hazonia will probably see some minutes at the three, although I don't think that's a great spot for him either. But Mello is your starter. Gary Trent Jr. is your backup mostly, although he might see some minutes at backup too, depending on what kind of rest CJ and Dame need. Next question comes from Stephen Delk at Stephen Delk on Twitter, who asks, what kind of changes do you see are going to happen with the three bigs and mellow at small forward? Will Who will have the biggest impact and why? And how does Dame get back into his bag like earlier in the season? I'm going to actually loop this into the next one. Joey Pushk at Blazers fan 000 on Twitter asks, if you were the head coach of the Blazers, who would your starting five be for game one of the restart? 
And Joey's proposal is Dame, CJ, Zach, Mello, Nurk. I assume that's just five um, names in a row and not Zach playing three and Mello playing four, but whatever. Yeah, I think, Joey, I'm not sure that's mine, but I think you're correct. And that answers part one of Steven's questions. I think that your your day, your day game one starters in Orlando, I was going to say Las Vegas, in Orlando, Dame, CJ, Mello at the three, Zach at the four, Nurk at the five, with Hassan, Whiteside, and Gary Trent Jr. as your major contributors off the bench, and then you'll see some spot minutes from Anthony Simon, some spot minutes from Nazir Little, maybe some spot minutes from Hazonia, and that is how it is likely to shake out in my mind. Um, I do think Nurk and Hassan play together some. Uh, the Blazers' best bet is to be big. I think them leaning into being big means Nurk will play a little bit at power forward or just two two center lineups. I mean, Zach's kind of a center too, so it's always two center lineups, but I think you're, they're going to go really big. Um, who will have the biggest impact, Stephen wonders? I, I think it's Yusuf Nurkic because I think, one, he's of those players, he's the most talented, and two, he brings... Um, he offers something that maybe you, uh, maybe uh, Hassan Whiteside doesn't with his passing ability. Um, he's a, he can be a playmaker out of the pick and roll in a way that Hassan really can't. Hassan's just a bad passer. Um, he's he's really big and he he's he can be a really valuable role man just by being really large and really long. Um, you know, and overwhelm people with his size, but he's not the playmaker when things break down like Nurk is. So I think Nurk has the biggest impact. He's the best player. And the last one, how does Dame get back into his bag like earlier in the season when he was on fire? Boy, howdy. If Dame could tap into that, you'd think he would. Um, I think that's the trillion-dollar question is how can Dame get back to the, you know, best player in the world level and, and get there for a long time? He certainly believes he can get there, but I don't think there's an easy way just to to tap into it. Um, you know, if, if he finds out it, how he does it is he does it. There's no trick. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who says, obviously the Blazers are bringing back the newly sanitized Larry O'Brien trophy back from the bubble. It's He actually abbreviated newly sanitized LOB. And at first I thought it was newly sanitized locked on Blazers. And I was like, you can't sanitize us. But no, newly sanitized locked on, newly sanitized Larry O'Brien trophy back from the bubble. But who's contribution at small forward will be more responsible for the championship run, Mello or Gary Trent Jr.? On the flip side, will Gary Trent Jr.'s lack of size or Mello's lack of speed hurt them most? I think this is the real question that Terry Stotts has to balance. Is Mello's lack of foot speed on the perimeter a more of a detriment to the Blazers' defense versus Gary Trent just being six foot five? I think it's Mello's speed, but I also think that what will be like a larger detriment will be if one of them is the obviously better option on offense and they aren't the better option on defense is that they aren't, neither of them are are perfect. And it's finding that balance and what that balance might look like down the stretch will be, that will be uh, more challenging. So who's more responsible for the championship run? I'll say if the Blazers win the championship, it will be because Gary Trent Jr. took an unlikely step forward. Or maybe a, maybe not unlikely, because if they're winning the championship, it's all unlikely, but um, unexpected step forward from from Gary Trent. Uh, but, but I really think you hit the nail on the head there, is that, that that lack of size versus lack of speed is just a question that Terry Stotts has to shake out. I don't have a good answer for you, Rev, but uh, I did my best. Next question comes from James in Beaverton. James asks... I'm not worried about Mello starting a small forward. It's midsummer, empty East Coast gyms. We're getting hoodie Mello. 
Hoodie Mellow famous for being on those uh, CJ Brickley feeds, wearing a hoodie with no sleeves, making every single shot he took because it was edited video from New York. But in any case, love it, James and Beaverton. But James' actual question after that lead-in is, if we could bring back any player from last season to start at small forward, who would it be? I think a healthy Chief would be great right now to add to the defense we need on the perimeter. Yeah, I like that idea, but I kind of feel like Chief's best ability was actually his ability to to guard fours and then and then switch onto smaller guys on the perimeter. So like occasional defense, like perimeter assignments, but mostly guarding. Like where I think he was best was guarding fours that weren't named Carl Anthony Towns. He always got eaten alive by him. Maybe Blake Griffin, so you could add him to the list. But yeah, I think I I kind of think Chief is a power forward, and he's not a great fit at the three. Um, so then my instinct was to say Mo Harkless, but Mo Harkless shot twenty. 8% from three last year and doesn't have much individual wiggle, much individual offense. So he's not a great fit. So I'm going to, I'm going to think outside the bun and say that Rodney Hood is the, is the small forward that they want to bring back. Um, I, I don't think you fix, I don't think, I don't think any of the guys, Mo, Chief, or or any other solution is is the type of sort of lockdown defender that like really solves the problem. Certainly Mo and Chief would be better options on, uh, Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic and LeBron James, but I kind of think what the Blazers' best bet on defense will be and what it kind of sounds like they're going to do is just really pressure the ball, really get into the ball and funnel people towards the bigs waiting in the paint. They're going to take their chances with guys playing like more pressure defense than they have in the past and just try to send guys to the two bigs because they're always going to have two bigs on the floor. So with that in mind, I'm picking Rodney Hood and his offense has really, he has a little bit of individual offense and he's a really good shooter. And I feel like that's the secret to the Blazers sauce. Okay, like I said, you guys had a lot of questions about the Blazers starting lineups and choices and all those things. Hope I got to most of them if I, or hope I answered most of your questions thoroughly enough. I did get to all of them that you asked, but if I didn't try again next week, we'll still we got we got similar questions next week. Dial in, be a little more specific. Try to get me um, coax out of me what you want. If I didn't give it to you there, second segment. We're going to come back and answer more of your questions. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been doing it online for 20 years, and you can go to RockAuto.com right now to shop for the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Here's the great thing about them. They got everything. Motor oil, tail lamps, control modules, brake parts, even new carpet. You need new carpet? Hit up rockauto.com because they're doing it for everybody. Daily drivers, classic classic cars, whatever your ride is, few easy clicks, you get it delivered directly to your door. Their catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. It's quick to see all the parts for your vehicle and choose the brands and specifications and the prices you prefer. But best of all, it's the prices at rockauto.com. They're always reliably low. And the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Don't do that. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right, let's keep it rolling here on Mailbag Monday. More of your questions. This next one comes from David from Gmail who asks, do you think our triple towers uniquely suits us to match up with the Lakers? A lot of collective pronouns there. Love it, David. Um, I do think being big is valuable against 
the Los Angeles Lakers because they are relentlessly big. They're going to play Anthony Davis at power forward a whole bunch. Uh, They're going to roll with centers JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard and put Davis at four and LeBron at the three and be really, really, really big. And so being really big is going to be valuable against them. Being able to say Nurk and Hassan and Zach and that combination just go guard them as Uh, you know, and try to control them on the glass as much as possible, that's really valuable against the Lakers. But the problem is not necessarily that size. Like, that size can be a problem, and and, and Anthony Davis is a problem, one of the best players in the league. But for me, the Lakers' size and where it really is going to come into play is LeBron James. Who the heck on the Blazers' roster can guard him? Carmelo Anthony probably will guard him okay to some extent, but if Melo was a defensive stopper at any point in his career, he would be a different player. He would have had a different career to this point. He's not, he's never been that dude, even at the height of his athleticism, was never an elite lockdown defender. He's a competitive defensive player. I think he's, he's probably a little better than terrible, but he's not good at it. Like he's, he's not, he's not a high level defender by any means and guarding LeBron James, you need to be a high level defender. So the Blazers options there are Nazir Little, probably too young at this stage to guard LeBron. LeBron's got too much craft and Nazir Little's athleticism will kind of be warped by how athletic LeBron still is at age 35. Mario Hazonia famously guarded him really well in that one game in Madison Square Garden a year ago, or a little more than that now, uh, last season, the 2018-19 season, but can you imagine Mario Hazonia playing 40 minutes in a playoff game? That seems like a wild choice. So it's probably Gary Trent Jr. is your best perimeter defender. I like Gary Trent Jr.'s future as a defender in this league. I like his present as a defender in this league in terms of a guy who plays really hard and um, is interested in defending, but he's just might not be big enough to guard LeBron. So to me, yes, the Blazers are uniquely suited to guard that the initial front court for the lake for the Lakers. The Blazers are just they're going to be big enough to handle in theory how big the Lakers stay at 4 and 5, but it's that the Lakers still have that size of the 3 and I think that is what really presents a challenge. Also, getting to the playoffs to play the Lakers is a long way away. So, David, save this save this email and uh, maybe we'll talk about it again in a month or so. Next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who asks, if CJ were to take his game to the point where he is a championship level second option, what is the area of his game that you think needs to improve the most? I mean, improve the most, the very obvious one is defense. He just needs to be, a he needs to step up to be, he's kind of just, just a dude. Uh, that's a stolen phrase from Dane Delgado, a former colleague of mine at NBC Sports, but that's kind of what CJ is. He's not like this terrible traffic cone of a defender, but he's not a good defensive player. Um, so to step to be a championship level second option, I think he would need to be an above average defender in the league. But I, I think a lot of times we conflate defense and think it's all about energy and effort. And that would mean that anyone who tries hard on defense would be good. And I don't think that's true. There's timing, there's instincts, there's just a lot of um, intuitive stuff, intrinsic talent that that goes into being a good defender, along with some obviously physical physical gifts that CJ might not have. He's just not that long. Um, so that's that's the obvious one. But if you're thinking of something that's like a little more realistic, because um, thinking that he'll become like, you know, one of the 50 best defensive players in the league, or even like one of the 10 best defensive guards in the league, that's wild. Um, that's he, He's almost 30 years old. It's not going to happen. But 
what it's like a realistic way he can improve his game is if he were to be a consistent high-level playmaker. My my criticisms of CJ is that he's a really good offensive player, but he's mostly a really good offensive player for himself. We've seen flashes of it, like this season in those six games that Dame sat out, where CJ took over those lead guard duties and was a really good facilitator. And I think incorporating that level of playmaking into his sort of everyday repertoire, um, not just the assist numbers, but the willingness to make the right read and the easy pass. Um, sometimes, you know, CJ is such a good individual scorer that he will take a, his own tough shot, which he sure as hell can make over just kind of creating for someone else. And I think that the way that he steps up his game a little bit more is just creating for others more regularly. Next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail who asks, why are you so low on Hassan Whiteside? He leads the league in blocks in his second and rebounds. Yeah, I am low on Hassan Whiteside. And I've said on this podcast before that I am probably too unfairly harsh on his game and an unfairly harsh critic on his game. So um, you are, you know, um, reasonable people can disagree with my take on him. But here's what I think. I think Hassan Whiteside is an above average defensive player who does not impact the game enough to be considered one of the elite defensive players. And quite frankly, I think the the NBA fraternity of coaches agrees with me. Whether that's a reputation built from guys like me in the media kind of bashing on him or stat nerds pointing out to how his uh, advanced metrics don't indicate that he's a particularly good defensive player and that he's sort of earned that reputation via nerds and via talking heads. Uh, Perhaps that's true, but The Athletic recently did a poll where they asked 33 coaches around the league, um, so I guess that had to include some assistant coaches too, to rank their uh, all-defensive teams. And it was first team, second team, and honorable mention, and Hassan Whiteside got zero votes for any of that. Not a single one anywhere. No first team, not a surprise. No second team, not really a surprise. But not even honorable mention vote somewhere in there. I don't think he's perceived as a particularly good defensive player. I think he's perceived as someone who chases down blocks. He leads the league in blocks. And someone who kind of enjoys, you know, getting rebounds. Kind of gets uncontested rebounds to pad his stats. I think think he is a little stat-obsessed, a little stat too interested in stats, but he's not the only guy in the league. That's not unique to him. It's not even the only guy in the team that I think um, is interested in getting his numbers into a certain place. But um, I just don't think he's a versatile enough defender to be considered an elite defender. I don't think if you don't guard on the perimeter in the NBA, in the modern league, or, or don't even guard like moderately well and recover um, in the in the league now, then I just don't think you can be considered an elite defensive player, and I don't think he is. Um, that said, the Bla- he talked today on a, a Zoom call that I was on about how the Blazers are going to switch more. So maybe we're going to see Hassan switching, and maybe he'll prove me wrong in a he, – he basically the Blazers basically didn't allow him to switch this season, like the way their schemes worked. So maybe a new scheme will allow – Hassan to show me that I'm wrong. So stick with it, Hamilton. Perhaps, um, you know, early August, I'll be eating crow. Next question comes from Anthony from Gmail, who notes that this is a question from Australia. Uh, as And Anthony writes, as a Blazer fan for only a few years and wanting to know more history, who do you consider the Blazers' biggest rivalry and why? In Australian sports, rivalries are fodder for trash talk and hyping games. This is the same in the NBA, or is there a different dynamic? I know Damon Westbrook have a history, but is that player v. player and doesn't transfer to Blazers versus OKC? I mean, Houston now, but I get you. Uh, it seems... NBA is more player versus player rather than a team rivalry rivalry would love your thoughts. Yeah, I think a couple things are at play here. One, um, this generation of players over the last decade just grew up so much closer. There's much more proximity than in the past. They played AAU together. They've known each other since they were 
you know, 14 years old, um, playing in these sort of elite basketball leagues around the world. Also, contracts are shorter. Dudes change teams all the time. So you do get these player versus player, kind of Patrick Beverly versus Russell Westbrook, Dame versus Russell Westbrook. Oh, maybe it's just people don't like Russell Westbrook. Uh, sort of the Rockets and the Warriors, but it was kind of sort of Daryl Morey versus the Warriors in a way. I don't think James Harden had the same vitriol as the GM did on the team. Uh, so players changing teams, players familiarity, and also... I think part of it starts in 2016 with Kevin Durant leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think that was a watershed moment for sort of the death of rivalries in the league. This was shaping up to be a wonderful rivalry. This OKC, Russ, and Kevin Durant uh, duo versus the Steph and Clay and Draymond uh, triumvirate in Golden State. And this was going to be one of the really special rivalries in the game. This looked like it could last for a long time. And instead, it lasted seven games, and then Kevin Durant left and joined this team. And when he joined that team, it wasn't just that he left. It was that they were so good for four consecutive seasons that the idea of having a rivalry was kind of deflated. The Rockets were the only team that truly challenged them, other than LeBron James and the Cavs. But LeBron James has a rivalry with Michael Jordan's ghost not with the Warriors. So it was kind of washed out. All of those factors have washed out the team versus team rivalry. That said, the Blazers' biggest rivalry in the league is the Los Angeles Lakers. However, the Lakers do not view the Blazers as a rival. They view them as an annoying team in the Pacific Northwest that is sort of part of their history, but not in the same hatred that Blazer fans view the Lakers. Um, I think the Lakers have that with several teams. I just... You build these rivalries in the playoffs, and the Blazers have not had a foe other than sort of the Rockets. But again, the teams change personnel so much that it can't. It doesn't last as long. They just haven't had a foe they've met in the playoffs enough consecutive times or, or in high leverage enough games to have them really be a rival. So that's a long-winded answer of saying, you're right, it's player versus player. It's the teams have kind of phased out for a variety of reasons, some of them generational, some of them the product of shorter contracts with how the league works, and some of them just with how good the Warriors were for so long that it kind of watered down the rivalry, and then um, the team that LeBron James's plays on is viewed as the LeBron James's and not necessarily a full team. Those are my thoughts, Anthony. Thanks for the question, all the way from Australia. Okay, we're already getting up against it in time. Like I said, we have a bunch of good questions and ones that I wanted to give full answers to. Let's come back in the third segment, close out the show. We got a bunch more to do. Stick with me. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still is in Locked On Blazers, and we're still rolling through with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Mike from Gmail, who asks, With the Blazers finally having some full practice under their belts in Orlando, it sounds like most players came back in pretty good shape, including Yusuf Nurkic. I was wondering what you think his ceiling is, both for this season and onward, assuming he won't have an injury issue moving forward. He's had a year to watch and think about basketball, and for players who take that task seriously, it can be very, very beneficial to their basketball IQ. Can he become one of the top three centers in the league? Right now, Jokic and Embiid are clearly better, but is there a world in which Nurk could surpass guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Bam Adebayo, and Rudy Gobert? Yes, there is a world where that could happen. I don't think he's as good as any of those five dudes you mentioned right now, but he was certainly pushing that 
that range, right? Like he was, he was, um, he was one of those, you know, he was, he was right there in sort of the top five or six players at his position in the league. I think Bam Adebayo took a really big jump and kind of maybe surpassed Nurk specifically in this last season, although, uh, debatable whether Nurk was better in his healthy season before that, but I think right now Bam is better. Um, there's there's definitely a world where that happens. Um, Nurk is still really young. Um, he he's a guy who really buys into the "I'm not the best player on the team" concept, uh, which I think is really valuable for his growth. He understands how good Damian Lillard is and that he can help by being a complement to Damian Lillard's skill set. Um, he moves forward by continuing to be an elite defensive player or, or getting back to him being a really high level defensive player and continuing to be just not a turnover machine on offense. I think Nurk at his weakness would kind of be a little bit soft around the rim. And I don't mean that in like, um, that he wouldn't be physical around the rim. I mean that he would go for little touch shots around the rim. He wouldn't use his, he wouldn't use his strength specifically to finish. He might bury a guy under the rim and then go up for a little touch floating hook, uh, using his strength all the way through the finish, I think is really where he steps forward and not turning the ball over. Sometimes you get caught in the post and just turn the ball over. Um, just trying to do too much cause he's really right hand dominant. Um, I, I do think he's talked about how much learning and watching in, the, in his time off helped him. And I think you're right that, that that can be really valuable. He can kind of see where he fits in, see the game a little bit slower, kind of think the game a little bit more in so, in so much time off. Um, he's a long way away, in my opinion, from being Jokic or Joel Embiid. But he's not, and he's probably just skill-wise a long way away from Cat. But Carl Anthony Towns is just such a bad defensive player that Nurk's balance of game could catch him. Uh, Rudy Gobert is kind of the, the, the anti-Cat, right? Like he's, some he's not super limited on offense he's not as bad on offense as cat is on defense but he's such a good defensive player that it kind of makes up for him and i think big guys being better on defense is more valuable than them being better on offense bam is this ascendant incredible passer um really versatile guy who can who can guard a lot of different positions watch him guard Giannis Antetokounmpo if you get a chance it's, he's just really special but yeah i think nurk has has a chance to be his ceiling is, you know, the third best center in the league or hell his ceiling is the best center in the league. He's 25. He could get there. But realistically, um, his ceiling is being in that consistent conversation of one of the three best players at his position, which is a very nice place to be. Next question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who says, actually Logan says some things, but it starts with an image. He sent me, he sent me a trade from ESPN trade machine. And the trade is the Portland Trailblazers received Bradley Beal in exchange for C.J. McCollum and Anthony Simons. And Logan says, Logan maybe uh, annotates. Okay, so I get how this trade makes Washington worse in the short term, but how on earth does Hollinger's analysis think it would make the Blazers worse? I assume you'd make this deal. I certainly would. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, here's my thing. Anthony, Anthony Simons might be a star and maybe this I'll, I'll have great regret over trading him away in my in this virtual world that I'm I'm wading into. But Bradley Beal for my money is a little bit better than CJ McCollum, but I will say this. Eric Gunderson, the former host of this podcast and uh, writer, NBA writer for the Associated Press and uh, USA Today's LeBron Wire has said multiple times that he believes if CJ McCollum had as much uh, leeway as much in the, as, and got to the ball as much as Brad Beal to kind of do what he does, that CJ would be that type of player. So this isn't held by sort of every single person in, in the uh, basketball talking headspace um, that 
Brad Beal is better than CJ McCollum. I happen to think that he is, um, and that he would slightly improve the Blazers. But uh, as Logan points out, Hollinger's analysis says that they was to make the Blazers nine wins worse, and the and the Wizards six wins worse, which is pretty funny. Uh, I think what it's calculating is that when you get Brad Beal on this team, you also lose Anthony Simons minutes off the bench, and the Blazers just don't have many backup guards in that spot currently healthy. So um, they would be not. They would just be losing not only CJ's production, but also their bench would get even weaker. And I, I, I think maybe that's true. I don't really trust the Hollinger's analysis on ESPN trade machine too much. It doesn't really always make sense to me. Um, yeah, I would do this deal. I know that some people wouldn't. In fact, one of the commenters later in this show, I'll just shout him out now. My man, Adam Nakamura called this a terrible trade idea. So Logan, maybe it's just me and you on this Island. Okay. Next question comes from Evan M. Jones. Evan Jones asks, I've seen a lot about the Sixers potentially breaking up their two stars. Oh, yeah, remember we were just talking about Joel Embiid? Well, Evan Evan points out, which of of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, would hypothetically be a better fit, and what would it take to get them in Blazers Uni? Thoughts on the Nurk and CJ for Joel Embiid and Josh Richardson? I hate that trade. CJ McCollum is better than Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson is a really nice... He's a really good defender, and he's kind of done stuff, but Miami was... The Heat, before they traded him to Philly, were kind of putting him in a role to be a star and kind of take over as their second star. And he was not capable of that. I think trading CJ would be a mistake in this trade. And I think Nurk is, he's not, you know, he's 80% of Joel Embiid. Um, he doesn't have the ceiling. Embiid could be the best player in the NBA. He's that good. So I don't like that trade at all. That gets a thumbs down from me. The trade I would be will, more willing to make, and I've talked about on this podcast so many times, is something sort of like a straight up swap CJ for Ben Simmons. I don't think the Sixers, the Sixers certainly might not do that, but I like that idea because Simmons could play the four. Um, he's an elite, elite defensive player in the league. And if he ever decides that he's willing to try jump shooting, he's really going to take another step. So for me, Simmons is a better fit, um, because I don't love Embiid, a, uh, a sort of ball dominant, big post up, big playing alongside Dame as much as I like a more pick and rolly type player. And I think Simmons could initiate a pick and roll or be the role man. So I'm a Ben Simmons guy. I'm just a Ben Simmons fan. I think he's good. Adam Nakamura brings us our next question at Adam Naka 28 on Twitter, who asks if you got to go into the bubble and hypothetically had to room with a blazer. I know it's hypothetical dog. I'm not going, I'm not getting a roommate. Um, had to room with a blazer who would be your first choice to room with and last choice. And why mine would be Mario first and Simon's last. Um, I don't, I'm not as big of a video gamer as Mario Hazonia, and I don't know why you don't want to room with Anthony Simons. Maybe he's too young. I don't even know what too young means. I have no idea why Simons is your last choice. I feel like you owed me, you asked for more explanation. You should give, you should have given me some more explanation on that. Um, my first choice would be Carmelo Anthony. He likes to go on walks, like long walks to kind of cool down. I think that that's a good type of roommate to have, someone who would leave the room. He's also uh, more towards my age bracket, and he really loves wine. But the number one reason I want to um, spend time with Melo is because he's the dude who has seen the most in the league and would have the best stories. And one of the key things you got to be able to do with your roommate is talk about stuff, and I think he would have the coolest stuff to talk about. Like, he would just, he would know he would know stuff 
And my last choice for a roommate would be Gary Trent Jr. because go Tar Heels. And also because that dude was taking selfies on the plane and I'm just not a selfie guy. Um, I think Gary Trent Jr. is cool. He's incredibly laid back. I think we would get along fine. But I had, someone had to be last and it's him. Go Tar Heels. Okay, next question comes from Stephen Delk at Stephen Delk on Twitter who asks, if someone was passionate about getting involved in the team or or to work for the organization, where would be a good starting point? In the Navy now and not sure what to do when I get out. So there's there's a couple I have a couple different thoughts on this. Um, working for the Blazers organization can mean a lot of different things. So if you want to work on the basketball side, um, if you want to like be involved in the basketball operations portion of the program, you need to do the work. You need to demonstrate like if you want to work in analytics for them, like do make an analytical model, make some sort of statistical model and have it be public and let people see your work. Ben Falk, who used to work for the Blazers and the 76ers, has a thing on his website, cleaningglass.com, where he just gives advice for specifically how to break in with an NBA team on the basketball side. Um, he could answer it better than me. I recommend you go there, cleaningtheglass.com slash advice. Ben is one of the smartest people that you'll ever encounter. And I'm, I'm certain that he has better advice than I can offer you. But like there are plenty other jobs outside of basketball. The the like working for an NBA team has a lot of parts, right? There's a whole nother side. The people who try to sell tickets, the people who sell ads, the people who uh, work in uh, various levels of marketing. Not just sort of like so, the social media side, but the other. There just are a lot of other wings of marketing within the team. There's people who are just who are doing things that are not on Twitter and Instagram who are um, maybe not part of content, but are certainly like more traditional type marketing jobs. So those are probably more, um, if you want to get involved, look for a ground level, a, an entry level type position. If you don't have that type of experience to get in, and it would be the same way you would get any sort of marketing or sales type of job. Um, you got to get your foot in the door somehow and then prove your value there. But I, if you're talking about specifically the basketball side, um, there are more barriers to entry for that because there are fewer jobs there. I think there's, if you really want to work for the team, if you want to have um, trailblazers on your checks, there just remember that there are a lot of different options. It's it's a very broad spectrum of opportunities with within the organization that aren't just basketball related. Next question comes from Tanner Russ at Tanner Russ Seven who asks. Which WNBA player do you think would add the most to the Blazers squad as it currently stands? Tanner, I don't think you meant it this way, but I think this question is a little bit insulting. Uh, I think the idea to, I think it's straight up sexist, actually. And I don't, I, I apologize um, if you feel like that's a personal attack. It is not. It, I'm just, I just don't like the question. Uh, I think there is a tendency to want to compare the leagues. Um, and the comparison suggests that the NBA is the best type of basketball and the WNBA is an inferior product. And while that may be your opinion, I think that is a little bit bogus. What they are are different leagues. And the tendency to compare... Uh, takes away from what makes the WNBA cool and what makes it cool it is is that it is the best version of it of a women's basketball league in the world it doesn't need to be compared to the NBA um, but I I'll answer your question anyways Elena Deladonna next question Bert Rosen at Bert Rosen on Twitter who asks do you think do people really think teams tank for draft position I can't imagine saying to Damon Lillard that he needs to lose on purpose how would that go Teams tank all the time. It happens literally every year in the league. But here's the thing. 
players don't tank, and for the most part, coaches don't tank either. So what you do if you want to lose is you make Dame sit down. You say, hey, remember when you twisted your ankle around All-Star break? You got to chill. You don't, you're, instead of coming back in six games, you're going to come back in 11 games or 15 games or whatever it might be. You say, instead of playing 36 minutes a night, you're going to play 30 minutes a night, and we're going to have five minutes when we have crappier players on the floor. Teams do it all the time. That said, Damian Lord isn't about that. He has never been about tanking. He is the one year the Blazers tried to tank. They won 44 games and made the second round of the playoffs. They just, um, he is not wired that way. And because of that, and because of his status, I mean, he's also grown to being so good that it's really hard to tank with how talented he is. Um, the Blazers aren't going, they aren't headed that direction. It's not something that the Blazers can do, and they certainly won't do it with him on the roster. But um, the idea that it's like not a thing that other teams do. That's wild. Yeah, teams do it every year. Next question. The final question of the show. We made it. Cannon from Gmail asks, I read an interesting article on RipCityProject.com by Ryan Gaskin. It was about three X factors that might propel this team forward to having success in the bubble and maybe even success in the playoffs. One, Jalen Adams, bench spark. He compares Adams to Rodney Hood, not in skill, but in that Rodney joined the se- late in the season and found success off the bench. Two, Nurk and Whiteside combo. This one hopes that Nurk can spread the floor and hang around the perimeter and focus mainly on Nurk's newfound shooting touch and using this lineup against big teams. And three, throwback Mello, the third potential X-factor, focuses on Mello's past performances in the playoffs, averaging 25 and 7. And Cannon goes on to ask, what do you think of this take? How do you think, any, do you think any of these things can happen? Is one of these what the team needs or do they need something else to have an impactful postseason? Okay, I don't really want to shit on someone who I don't know's um, story, and I feel like this question is setting me up to do that. But I will give, I will offer some critiques. Um, Jalen Adams, I Terry Stotts said in an interview that he they signed Jalen Adams essentially to be a practice point guard because they need more they need more point guards um, to play in practice, particularly if they're not going to wear out Damon CJ over uh, long like after the first couple days of practice, if they want to go long and and have more physical practices with other guys, uh, getting Damon CJ off the court is valuable. That said, just not even just that Stott's point, um, signing a guy this late in the season who plays behind Damian Lillard in a eight game season seems like it would be, it would be very interesting to see him get minutes like that. That seems unlikely. Um, they have other options on the wing. Um, Jalen Adams might be a perfectly good NBA player. He might be a real life NBA player, but I just can't imagine it happening on this team. I, that, that to me seems very, very unlikely. Nurk and Whiteside combo. The Nurk spreading the floor thing is so wild to me. Like, I can't believe you watch Yusuf Nurkic, who's seven feet tall and 300 pounds, and you want him further away from the basket. Um, his value is that he's a good passer from the high post, but his value is also that he can get rebounds, that he can box out and let other people get rebounds, that he can score around the rim because he's a, he's a handful. The further you get him away from the rim, the more the harder it is for him to be to use his best skills um but i do think nurk and hassan are going to play together a bunch sure throwback mellow um mellow averaging 25 and 7 boy would that be fun um i don't i i just i don't think that's going to happen um I think he can help. I think him playing a little bit at small forward might not be the worst idea. I mean, just considering the Blazers roster, it might even be a good idea. But the idea that he's going to like turn back the clock to 2014 seems unfounded. Here's what 
to me, if I were to pick an X factor or like a big question, it's whether the Blazers can have 48 minutes of very good centers. It's less Nurk and Whiteside together. It's more of zero minutes when they're on the court where their center is not good. I think that's the thing that will set them apart, right? Is zero zero bad minutes and always being big with Nurk and Zach and Whiteside and Zach and then a little bit of them together. Um, I think that's that's more the the combinations that that interest me. And if there, if there's a bench spark, I feel like it's someone who's already on the roster, right? It's Mario Hazonia coming into his own. It's Nazir Little becoming a real defensive ace. It's Gary Trent Jr. Everyone's picking him as an X-Factor, but it's Gary Trent Jr. living up to all the hype he's all of a sudden getting, heading into the bubble. Um, like I said, I didn't want him, I didn't want to be mean to this, this gentleman's, uh, story. Uh, I, I, I think, Three, all three of them are fairly unlikely, but that's why they're X factors. They're things that are unlikely. Um, to me, the Blazers make the playoffs because you, you rely on your strengths. Dame and CJ, their two best players, are excellent, and their size is good enough to make up for their lack of defense on their perimeter. They win because they're good at what they already do. That's the X factor. And that's the show. Thanks to everyone who contributed questions. If you want to contribute a question, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or look for the tweet on Monday morning that I send out soliciting questions or email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. As always, love Mailbag Monday and love all of you who helped make it possible whether you submitted a question or whether you're just listening. Tell your friends about the show. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.